to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, my name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so thankful that you guys are here. I know there's a bunch of new people, and I want to uh, just give you some background of what we're doing here um, in, the, in the series. We're in this, the middle of a series called Becoming Fully Alive. And for us, we are looking at the primary teaching of Jesus. Excuse me, we're looking at uh, one teaching of Jesus where he's asked by a teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And his response is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So we're looking at what does it mean to love God, love ourselves, and love others. That's what this, this whole series is about. Um, I, tr- I believe this is what we've kind of talked about over the last few weeks. That, um, first of all, to become more like Jesus is to become more fully yourself. So, so if you're new to the church world and you think you're going to become a robot or have no fun, that's not true at all. But to become more like Jesus is to become more fully yourself, which is to be fully alive. Also, the goal, I believe, let me just make sure I get this right. The goal for what we're talking about is that I believe that God wants to shape us to become the kinds of persons or become the kind of people that uh, can that he can empower to do whatever we want. I believe the goal of discipleship is that we to be transformed, to become the kind of person that God can empower us to do whatever we want. Now, what happens in that transformation is we are transformed. (laughs) So we're wanting the things God wants. Amen. Do we know what we're talking about? So this is just the premise. So a few weeks ago, quite a few weeks ago, I started off shaping. uh, We we started off our series with talking about what does it mean to love God? Because at the heart of of this whole series is this this understanding that our view of God shapes the world we live in. Our view of God shapes the way we live and interact with other people, with ourselves and with God himself. And this is both negative and positive. So in the negative sense, if your view of God is that he's a disapproving father, You're going to live a certain way because of that. You're going to seek to get approval and acceptance from him. But we have that in God, according to the scriptures. If your view of God is that he's legalistic or that all he cares about is your sin management, then you're going to spend most of your life following a list and reading the book as a way to, uh, to, to work yourself into righteousness. But you can't. All of that's been taken care of because of the cross. We live in grace and it's the same grace that empowers us to be transformed. And it's true on the positive sense. If you believe that God is for you and with you, what does that mean for how you live? Or if you believe that God is love, that you are accepted as the as a saint, according to Ephesians, or um, you are his beloved as you're accepted as you are, not as you should be. How does that affect your relationship with God? How does that affect your relationship with others? If God, uh, if the plan for salvation is that you're going to be zapped out of here one day and this place is just going to be t- uh, destroyed rather than what our theology is that the kingdom of God is here now and not yet, that that God is wanting to, us to partner with him in the renewal of all things. We see this throughout scripture that there's this uh, from Genesis three to Revelation 21. God is on a loving pursuit to redeem, restore, renew all things back to himself. If that's your view, then you begin to see life a little differently. You begin to work and partner with God where you are. And you realize that God wants to empower you in your workplace, in your family life, in your home. And you begin to shape your lives around that reality. Do you know what I'm talking about? So this reality, that theology, you could say, this view of God shapes 
how we live in this world. And last week I talked about, um, this is really important. I, I rooted us in Genesis chapter one about identity and purpose. According to Genesis, the story uh, of how everything began, began with God creating the, creating the heavens and the earth. And it says in the first account of the Genesis story of creation um, is that all of creation was created in six days. First day, God separates light and darkness. Uh, he creates the, separates the skies from the sea or the waters. Then he separates uh, land and creates vegetation. And on the fourth day, we see God create time with sun and moon and stars. And then on the fifth day, God creates uh, mammals, or excuse me, he creates uh, sea animals and birds. And then on the sixth day, we see that God creates land animals that produce their own kind. And then it says that God creates humanity in his image and likeness. That he pauses and, and humanity is designed, set apart from all of the creation. And we are created in the image and likeness of God. And this has radical implications for every single human being. That our identity doesn't come from how much money we make. Or how many relationships we have. Or how many Twitter followers you increase. For those of you that find your worth and identity and what you do, that's not where we get our identity. But what we read in Genesis 1 is that our identity comes from God and what he says about us. That being made in his image and likeness in the ancient Near East civilizations, to use the word image and likeness, is to say that we are to represent God on earth. We are called as, all, as humans to be the representation, the representatives of God. And, and then he commissions us with a task, and, and this is... Um, this is what we are commissioned to before sin in the fall. We are commissioned to, it says, to rule and to subdue. Um, Radah is subdue and kabosh is to rule. Or excuse me, the other way around. Kabosh is to subdue and Radah is to, to rule. And the implication of those two words in Hebrew is that we are, to, we are to partner with God in the careful cultivation and caring of creation. We are called, according to Genesis 1, to partner with God in the stewarding of all things. This is the human mandate. And what we see, and this is all last week, and I'm just, there's a lot of new people, so I want to get you caught up. What we saw last week is that our identity gets skewed because of sin. What happens is if God is, is God in our lives and we receive our identity as humans or persons from him, then we find our purpose in what we do and we work for the creation of the world. We, we continue to partner with him in that, those things. But if in sin, if we replace God with anything else other than God, like let's say we want we worship money, then we serve money. We get our identity from how much money we make and then we work to make more money. So it's an endless cycle. Are you with me? There's a few concepts last week. I had a slide. I'm sorry. I don't have that. Um, all that to say, one thing we talked about last week is this. To love yourself is to rest in your identity in who you really are. And one of the things that sin and the world will continue to fight, do and fight against that is, is tell us that we are worth how much we make, how much we have, how much stuff we have, how, whether we have a house or apartment, whether we're wearing designer clothes, whether we're beautiful or not based on what culture deems as beautiful. And so when we worship those things and we find our value in those places, we don't really live out of our true self and it creates an exhausted person. And the Israelites suffered with the same thing. And one of the disciplines or the laws that was given to the Israelites was to Sabbath. To set apart once a week, a day a week where you would rest. Because you are not what you do. But you are who God says you are. 
And so the challenge last week was to rest in your identity, who you are. The commission on Father's Day to all the dads was to take a day off and nap and fill your day with relaxation. So go back to last week. That's review from last week. Today, I'm going to continue our talk on what does it mean to love ourselves in a culture of, of narcissism in a culture of pride and, and misunderstanding of love. How do we truly love ourselves in a way that is reflecting God's love for us? You with me? So let's go to Genesis chapter two. We're going to read uh, the second creation account. And and this morning I have more of a talk, uh, a dialogue, I suppose. Because I want to frame what some of the next teachings are going to be. Bill's going to talk next week on a different subject that's related to this. So um, if you have a Bible, uh, if not, there's some Bibles in the front near the crosses. You can get up and grab those. And if you don't have one at home, feel free to take one. Um, we have them in Spanish and English because we do have a lot of Spanish speaking um, individuals here. And there are some people that are getting translations right now. I think they're in the back somewhere. Wait, where are you guys at? The translation's going on. Where is that? Come on. There you are in the back. Daisy and Carlos. We love you guys. He's part of our, our volunteer staff here. So Genesis 2. We'll start in verse 4. Um, so th- there was one creation story. Genesis 1. And this is a different creation story. It's not, I know there's chapter one and chapter two, but they are two different stories. One focuses on the cosmos being created, the heavens and the earth. The other focuses in on humanity and the Garden of Eden. So that might be new for some of you, but that's what's going on in this story. Genesis two. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came upon from the came up from the earth and watered the whole the whole surface of the ground. Verse seven. I want to focus here. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And a man, the man became a living being. Read seven one more time. Then the Lord God formed a man, Adam. From the dust of the ground, Adama, and breathed, Ruach is the Hebrew word for spirit or breath or wind, into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So this has some very interesting implications for us as persons. So we looked at the first story of creation and our identity and purpose. We're going to look at the nature of our soul today. So humanity is made in the image of God and and his likeness. And in Genesis chapter two, what we read is that um, man, Adam or Adam in Hebrew was made from dust or the ground or dirt. So we have humanity made from the physical world, dust, dirt, soil. And then God breathes his life into him. And the word for breath is the word ruach which is a Hebrew word for spirit, for wind, and for breath. The counterpart in Greek is pneuma. You've probably heard of that. It's the same word in the Greek. uh, It means the same three things. And so you have dust, dirt, soil, and humanity is also made of this breath, this spirit of God. So if you you can remember Genesis chapter 1, we see that when God creates all things, the heavens and the earth, you see him, there's this heavenly realm, this spiritual realm, and then there's there's the ground, there's the sea, there's land, there's animals, there's there's plants, 
um, and then there's there's uh, there's vegetation and then you have uh, uh, birds and fish and then animals. And then God creates humanity at the pinnacle of all creation, that it's the most complex of all the other things. And in Genesis two, it reveals something even more fascinating, that humanity sits in both realms equally. That the original creation shows that as humans, we are both physical and spiritual. And we are the only beings that are found in both realms. Are you with me? This is extremely important. Because most of us have been affected by Gnosticism or Western Greek philosophy, which is the view that physical is bad and spiritual is good. In Genesis 1 and 2, they're both the same. There's no other place outside of earth and heaven are heaven and earth are one with humanity. Are you with me? So the two primary components that make up a soul are physical components and spiritual components. Now, stay with me, because this is going to be a bit like a lecture, if you will. But this is really important for us to understand when we talk about how do you love yourself? What does that actually mean? And so we have to understand where this is coming from in the Hebrew perspective. So we are physical and spiritual. We have bodies, but we are not our body. We have spirits, but we're not only spirit and our bodies are designed to breathe the spiritual capacity of our life. So we occupy middle ground and we feel the tension of both worlds, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. You um, let me just say this too: you don't have a soul. You are a soul. And I know this is going to be complicated because some of you, this is going to be getting really nitpicky, I suppose, or very specific. But that's the goal here is to say that you don't have a soul. You are a soul. And that's what I want to talk about first when we and move into a place where we talk about physical health. But so let's begin with you are a soul. So the two primary elements of your soul are physical and spiritual. Let's go to that first slide. This will help you see. But there are three subcategories that we have uh, seen that have to do with our. Oh, it's over here. There it is. It's not over here. Um, this is your soul on, on drugs. This is your soul. Just kidding. Um, no, that's good. I'll use this somehow. Um, okay. So spiritual and physical. And then there are three subcategories, secondary categories for physical part. We have an emotional part of ourselves. We have a physical, um, part or physical, physical, I'm sorry, physical. We have an, a mental, we have an emotional and a social capacity. So, um, I want to define those for you, for those of you that are taking notes. So this represents our soul. So all of that together is our soul. Go to the next slide. So a better way to see it is this. So we, if you look at this whole thing as being who you are as a person, your soul is the integration of the spirit, mind, emotions, body, and social capacities. Are you with me? Five of us are here. Great. Hopefully three of us will be here at the end. Um, so let me just define these. So therefore, the soul is the careful integration of each component of all of these things. Um, the soul is the aspect of your whole being that correlates or, uh, uh, and integrates everything going on in the various dimensions. So your soul is the entire makeup of these individual components. Um, I want to be specific, but stay with me as we walk through this. First of all, let me define. So we have a spiritual capacity in our soul. 
The spiritual sphere is a critical part of who we are. This is where God breathed life into us. It's what gives us life. It is the substance from which we exist. It comes from a divine creator who created who we are. We live for him. The soul is built for relationship with God. Okay, you are built for relationship with God. You are designed to be in perfect relationship for him. Your soul will thirst for God and you will only find satisfaction in him in him. If you are new to the faith or you aren't a Christian and you, you, you know, deep down inside there, there are these longings that you want to fill from the most ancient civilizations in history. There is always this longing, this pursuit of some type of spiritual deity or connection with the divine. This is because we are created with that, that we are spiritual. Are you with me? Okay, so we have a spiritual side. There's the essence. And also, just so you know, the essence of, of sin, when you look at sin in this context of, of, of the spiritual things, it's the attempt to convince the soul that it can live without God. That's one aspect that, that we see. So we find substitutes to replace God in our lives. So, so that's one side. The other, other majority is the physical side. And the physical side is how we interpret the world. This is our body. We taste, see, touch, hear, and, um, and smell things. We interpret the world through the physical, physical side. The physical side of our, uh, of our souls is the primary vehicle for spiritual life. The physical side of our souls is the primary vehicle for spiritual life. This will all make sense. So just bear with me as we walk through each component. So how we hear things, how we see things, how we touch things, how we feel things is a window into our spiritual health, into how we love. We're going to spend the majority of our time on this one. So we'll come back to it. We're uh, we're we're also social beings. We are designed for relationship. How many of you know this? How many of you are extroverts and you thrive when you're around people? There's five. There's way more extroverts. You guys are here. We're missing like 70 something women at the Women's Connect. I'm sure none of them would raise their hand. They're all at the Women's Connect. Most of them are introverts, actually. So um, but we are built for relationships. So we, we have in Genesis 2:18 it says it is not good for man to be alone. The word good in Hebrew is not a moral, uh, uh, so, excuse me, it's not a moral value. It's, it's a practical word. The word good means beauty. And translated into its function, it means it works. So what the author of Genesis is saying is it doesn't work for man to be alone. We are designed for intimate, meaningful relationships. And part of our soul, in order to keep it healthy, is to be in lifelong, loving relationships with people. And we're going to talk about that another time. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at how do we love one another. Um, and if you notice, what, what happens when you sin at times? You isolate. For those of you that are familiar with addictions, one of the best things that AA offers is community for a, for a problem, for an addiction. And when you're when you're alone in your sin, you tend to continue to generate more and more. Are you with me? So there's a social part. There's a mental. The mental is the thinking aspects of your life. We're we're more familiar with this because we think about this stuff all the time. This is a unique property of our lives, of our soul, where the mind and spirit play together in our imagination, in our creativity, in our thinking, in our rationality. It's the part of our system as a soul of knowing, deciding and thinking and processing. And it's coordinated. All of that's coordinated by your soul. 
It's not a, a component that's left alone. And, and your brain, yes, your brain processes things and it's a physical component to who you are. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's that's it. It's not just a bunch of electrical um, uh, electrical misfirings or firings in your brain that's telling you what to do. There's way more going on in your system as a person. Are you with me? OK, and so we have the mental part and then we have the emotional part, which uh, think about what it means to feel. This is the aspect of our lives where we where our soul understands beauty and joy and sadness and anger and peace. It's where we respond to our feelings and our soul becomes the primary place where joy is entered in and released. It's where we experience pleasure and fun. It's the emotional components to who we are. And I think mo- Bill's going to talk about what does it mean to be emotionally healthy next week? Because I think most of us have a distorted view of feelings, especially the millennial generation, because for us, we only do what feels good. There's not a logic and reason to morality anymore. It's what we feel in the moment. There's studies shown that two thirds of millennials will say, how do you know what's good or what's wrong or bad, but good or evil or good, uh, right or wrong? And they said they'll know in the moment they'll feel what it, what's right. That's in Time magazine. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. So what does it mean for us to have a proper sense of our emotions? How do they um, guide our life rather than generate life? Because many of us allow our feelings of depression, of shame, of brokenness, of joy, of, of happiness, our pursuit of feeling good, um, direct our lives. And we don't know how to uh, submit that to Christ. Are you with me? Okay. So there's an emotional side. So we have spiritual, physical Social, mental and emotional, all of these spheres interrelate and are connected to one another. So when I when I think about the question that we're asking, what does it mean to love ourselves? I want I want you to begin to think about it in a holistic sense. Looking at it, what does it mean to love yourself spiritually or be connected to live fully alive spiritually? I mean, this is this is an easy one for us because we think, okay, yeah, spiritually, okay, maybe we start with accepting that there is a God and we can be in right relationship with God and we enter into this thing and maybe you're past that. And then it's about learning to accept your yourself as God accepts you as you are and as you should be. You begin to live in the spirit of adoption rather than spirit of shame and isolation. Um, Maybe you've passed that. And so for you, spiritual health is being in, in a body with other believers where you're worshiping. It's creating a, a lifestyle of devotion where you read scripture, where you pray, where you, maybe you fast and do other spiritual disciplines. Spiritual health is what we talk about all the time, especially in the church. And I think because we talk about that being the primary window, we miss out on all the other social dimensions or all the other soul dimensions, excuse me, that are just as important to our, our lives. And I want to argue today that the physical life, your body, has dramatic implications to your spiritual health. And I have plenty of testimonies in my own life that I'll share. And, okay, we can say, okay, I get spiritual health. Mental health, how do we we develop a, a holistic mental approach? Like, some of us need to be renewing our minds. I want you to think about this for a minute. Those of you that struggle with anxiety and fear, insecurity, those of you that struggle with a, uh, um, an elevated sense of worth, a pride or a de-elevated or, or a, a lack of self-worth. Either way, it's prideful. God says in Romans or excuse me, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that uh, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That part of our discipleship of becoming fully alive like Christ is renewing our minds the way we think. And some of us access God through our thinking. 
Some of you are deep thinkers. Some of you love to read lots of books, love to get into theological discussions. And that is maybe a primary window for your health with God. Some of you need permission to say it's okay for you to just dive in and think deeply about things. You don't have to be all touchy-feely emotional like some of us. You can, you, can, you can access God through your mind. Are you with me? The social component, this is a great one to reemphasize. We are designed for intimate relationships. What does that mean? Well, when was the last time you had to forgive a close friend without walking away? Or when was the last time that you walked into a group of men or women, um, depending on your gender, and you said, here's what I'm struggling with. You know, I know God's calling me here, but I'm still here. Will you guys in a community help me get to this place? I know it's going to be all by God's grace and maybe changing some habits and disciplines. Are you in intimate community? Because there is a healthy component to your soul. There's, there's a healthy balance between your introversion and extroversion, between your community and alone time and solitude. But we need to develop a place where we learn boundaries where we learn what it means to, to love in season, to bear with one another. This is what the church is designed for. But better yet, most of us have to be retrained in how we deal with community. Because we haven't experienced healthy community. More and more people that I talk to in the, in the church these days have left painful experiences in the church. And that creates a whole dynamic where they, there are walls up because they don't want to get too close to people. They don't want to, they're too, they're, there's, there's a fear that if they jump in, something bad's going to happen. And guess what? It will happen. If you are dealing with people, it's going to suck at times. I always say ministry is great except for all the people. <laughs> Someone else taught me that and I just stole that line. So it's not just me. I'd be really good at ministry if I didn't have to do with people. Because <laughs> I can't tell you how costly it is to say I'm sorry when I hurt someone. Or to, to um, extend myself when it's an uncomfortable situation. We all need to learn the language of social health for our soul's sake. Are you with me? This is just an overview. Um, so we have my emotional aspect. I'm going to leave that for Bill. He's going to talk through what that healthy, what a healthy social, or excuse me, healthy emotional care looks like next week. Um, and what do we do to get rid of the shame? How do we deal with our lives in that way? That's a great place. Now, if I asked you, what does it mean for you to be physically healthy? What do you start thinking about? How do you care for your body? How do you honor God with your body? And as I was preparing for this, I felt like this is a very intimate conversation. Because the church doesn't talk about this very much. And I found a study that showed evangelical Christians are 50% more likely to be obese than any other group. And I'm not, com- I'm not talking about your size today. I'm talking about health. What does it mean for us to live a holistic, healthy life, to love ourselves well? And what are the implications of honoring God with our bodies, the, the physical components? Well, so if you ask if yourself now, what does it mean for me to be healthy physically? Um, I hope the things that you're thinking about are rest, diet, food, um, your cravings. Pleasure, because part of our component of, of the physical side is this gift called sex and sexuality. What does it mean for us 
to develop this part of our souls in a way that's healthy. And I want you to just expand your mind and observe your life for a moment and look at yourself um, before I jump into this. Why are evangelicals so unhealthy? I believe it has to do with their view of God. Because our view of God shapes the world we live in. Some of us have a theology that's a disembodied evacuation eschatology. Let me say that again. Disembodied evacuation eschatology. This comes from a, almost a, a, a Gnostic, which is the, the same view I already explained that says spiritual stuff is good. Physical stuff is evil and bad. Not they're both good. And so our view of, of the end times is that one day we're going to be zapped out of here and we're going to be floating spirits. But we will have resurrected physical bodies on a physical earth. How does that view shape how we live today? If you treat this earth like it's going to go to hell, then, yeah, why, why plant gardens? If you treat your body like it's going to go to hell... Or it's just going to be renewed or restored once and for all, which it will. It will. Some of us are here and we can barely walk up the stairs. And there is hope that in the resurrection, your body will be fully restored. And I'm not talking about this as physical stuff as sin, but I just want to start a conversation because it deeply impacts my life. Um, so what does it mean? So disembodied that we're, we're zapped out, we're spiritual beings. Nope, we have physical Physical bodies. Evacuation is the idea that we're leaving this all behind, but God's calling us to restore, renew these things and build relationships that will last for eternity. That's what it means to invest in treasures that will be in heaven. And then um, uh, eschatology. That, that's, we're waiting for God to once and for all save us from our sinful bodies. That Jesus, his whole work in ministry is to save us out of this place. But like I've said, that is not our theology. So I think that has to do with some of the reasons why we don't focus on our physical health. So, God wants us to be empowered to become fully alive physically. What do we do then with our bodies? So in order to answer this, I want to go straight to the text. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. So I've never sat in a church service in my whole life and heard a pastor talk about physical health. And so this is brand new to me. But as Bill and I were talking, we were discussing how this is such an important aspect to our lives with God. Bill made the point that if you don't Sabbath and rest regularly, that you will not be as useful for the kingdom of God. And he's made the point, and I'm just copying Bill's words, that sometimes because of how we live, we will not be here as long as God wanted us to be here. That's a whole other theology I'm just going to leave right there. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I, have, I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord and the Lord of the body. But for the, uh, sorry, sexual, sorry, let me read this again. For sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who, you, 
he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in the body. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul's dealing with a very specific issue with sexual immorality. It was in uh, first century Corinth completely normal to uh, have sex with temple prostitutes. Okay, this is the issue that he's dealing with in Corinth specifically. So when it says, I have the right to do anything you say, but, and then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. This is verse 12. And he says it again, I have the right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. This is a teaching probably coming, a saying coming out of Paul's teaching. Where because of his view of liberty and grace, the Corinthians are saying, well, I can do whatever I want. Or you could say it's a hashtag YOLO. You only live once. And he's, he's rebuking a catchphrase in the first century Corinth. He's saying, um, look, I have the right to do anything. But he's saying, look, guys, not everything is beneficial. Or I have the right to do anything. He says, yeah, but I won't be mastered. I won't be enslaved to anything. And then he goes on and he says, um, there's another catchphrase, another statement in the first century. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. And he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What the Corinthians are saying in that statement, food for the stomach, the implication is that sexual sex is just as common as eating. So sex is just as natural as eating. And it is. But he's saying, Paul's saying, but it's not designed for sexual immorality. It's not designed to uh, your body. Your physical body is not designed for that purpose. God created food for the stomach, but not sex for sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Sex is sexual morality is any sexual out activity outside of a covenantal marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Period. End of story. Sex is a powerful gift. It's designed for a purpose and a function. Um, and you have to have the right environment to fully appreciate and experience sex and the, everything around sex. We're going to do a series in the fall called Sex, Love, and God. We're going to really explore this in our church. What does it mean to, to fully appreciate the gift that God gives us, our physical bodies and sex and our sexuality? It's like um, it's designed for a specific environment. If, if the, my electrical output at my house is, is shooting out sparks, I don't stick a fork in the socket to fix the problem. I call, a, I call an electrician Who's, who's been trained and designed to fix the electricity. It, it is, electricity is good in my home, right? It's good to, be, to charge up all your products or whatever it is you use, your Apple computer, your coffee kettle, whatever it is that you... TV, I don't know, what I'm, I don't know why I'm going on this. It's, electricity is good. Yeah. Jeremy, come back up here. Just kidding. <laughs> But it's, but it's designed to be used in a certain way. Same with sex. 
Sex is designed. It's not meant for sexual morality. And he, Paul points back to Genesis chapter one, where it says we are designed to be together. Um, and then he, he continues on. I just want to make this point. He uses the resurrection as an example of our bodies. He says he's specifically saying, hey, guys, um, you're now members of Christ. So when you sleep with a prostitute, like should should Christ be united, should be glued to a prostitute? It's just wrong is what he's saying. He's just arguing this point. And then he says, uh, f- verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, it's, it's, it's make it a habit to continue to get away, to, to, to not practice sexual immorality. All their sins that a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their body. The word is soma. And that's not the same word that's used in Romans to talk about the flesh, which is seen as the carnal part of our, our flesh, our physical part that is rebelling against God in sin. This is a different word that's talking about our holistic body, our person as a physical side, the emotional, the mental, the social components of who we are. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples? And we read over this because, uh, well, we weren't living 2,000 years ago. If you were a Hebrew, a Jew, or even if you were in Corinth, temples were sacred. Temples are the place where the deity meet the ordinary. It's where heaven and earth collided, according to their understanding. It's the place where God himself dwells. And in the Hebrew context, the temple was the center of the the capital city, Jerusalem, the center of Israel, and for them, the center of the world. This was the place where God, his presence dwells. It's where you go to meet with God. And Paul says only a few years after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for those that are Christians, that your bodies are now that thing. Your bodies are temples. They are sacred dwelling places for the most high, the divine, who empowers every aspect of your soul to fully live. So treat your bodies as a temple. Treat your bodies in a way that honors the fact that you have the divine inside of you taking up residence. Not just to transform your soul, but to transform everything through his spirit. And so Paul's argument is that, you guys, your body is important. And then he goes on, he says, um, you are not of your own. You were bought with a price, bought for a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So he uses uh, the Calvary story of Jesus dying on the cross. We were purchased through Christ's blood and his sacrifice. Now we have to use our lies in response because we are not our own. And we are called and commanded by Paul, if you take this out of, out of its context and apply it to our church, he's, he's commanding us to honor God with our bodies. So I come back to this question. How do you honor God with your body? What does it mean to honor God with your body? And I'm asking this practically. I just want you guys to think practically as if we're all students here. What does it mean for you to care for your physical side? Do you guys notice in your own life a relationship between how much rest you get and if you struggle with depression or anxiety? Do you notice that when you're not rested, uh, you tend to treat your closest loved ones a different way? Have you, have you, saw, have you seen that? Uh, how about the types of food you eat? And how that shapes how you feel. 
On Sundays, I crave pizza and beer. Seriously. I know, it's funny. I find it really easy to be tempted on Sunday afternoons because there is a social high, there is a mental high, there is a spiritual high, there is a physical high. I get up at five and work on this message and talk, stand here all day and all for you. If you weren't here, I wouldn't do it. There's an emotional high because obviously I'm very emotional. Um, and Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings became a place where if, unless I was recognizing that rest is something that Jesus has to be invited into. And he's the one that restores my soul. Not Netflix. Or carbs, cheese and beer. I'm just trying to be as honest as possible. So I regularly have to, to have to uh, fast from certain foods that I find comfort in. Because I don't want to be mastered by anything. I mean, this is where we're getting really intimate with ourselves. How many of us, when we have the worst day, go straight to the sugar? When we have the worst day, we don't text our friends or go over to a friend's house. Instead, we find ourselves with a bucket of ice cream in the Bachelor series finale or whatever it is. <laughs> Raise your... I'm not... I'm, yeah. <laughs> This is related to your spiritual life because all things are spiritual. Do you know the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of your physical self? How many of you have been told by the doctor you need to work out 30 minutes a day for the sake of? I'm not talking about physical health in the sense that you need to look a certain way. I'm talking about being useful for the kingdom of God. That actually our bodies are designed to be healthy, but they've been corrupted. Some of us, I mean, my wife knows um, when I haven't worked out. I'm more stressed. I'm more anxious. My wife knows when I haven't had a meal in the last two hours. Because I'm mean. <laughs> I mean, are there any wives here? And most of them are gone that can say yes, I know. I was talking to my buddy Zach. Yes, look at I was talking to my buddy Zach. His wife knows when he needs to go surf. Because for him, surfing fills his soul. There are things we do physically that re- refresh our souls. We wake up early and we go for a swim or we go for a run. We, we get off work and we take a walk with our spouse. There's something about doing something physically. There's, when there's, there's certain types of food that, that actually are better for us. And I'm not, I'm not trying to preach a diet. I'm trying to preach wholeness. And to, to be real, there are certain types of food that affects the way we think and feel about ourselves, good or bad. And in Daniel, we read about Daniel fasting, just eating vegetables for 10 days. And they're surprised when he did look healthier. How many of you have ever just eating, eat, eaten vegetables and done some type of cleanse that made you feel better? And can we just, is, are there a few of us that have attempted to say, I'm not going to drink caffeine or alcohol. I'm going to eat healthy food. I'm going to get rid of the carbs because I just want to just see what happens. And you learn that you don't need the 6 a.m. coffee or the 3 p.m. coffee. You realize that you, you eat things that actually are helping your body function. Because our physical bodies impact our spiritual lives. 
That's that's on the surface stuff. Okay, so we're talking about cravings. What do you crave when you're depressed and lonely and sad? What do you crave when you celebrate? What are the things that you might be addicted to? That's there. Are are we taking care of ourselves, our souls in a physical way? Um, Guys, what about sex? Married couples, do you have a healthy perspective of sexuality? Or has it been influenced by the media, by a broken past, by past relationships? Because one of the greatest gifts we have in marriage is this joyful pleasure we get in sex. It is the gift from God designed for marriage. And we are supposed to explore and have as much fun as possible. But we struggle with that. It gets corrupted. Maybe there are maybe your response today is to learn to talk about this as a couple. To look at the patterns of sexuality in your relationship and know that it's designed for intimacy, designed for pleasure, and it's designed for procreation. And look at the areas of your sexuality and say, are we, how are we doing here? Those of us that are single, how are we doing there? It's designed for an intimate relationship in a marriage covenant. It is off limits. But it is good. And too many churches say to young boys and girls growing up, sex is bad and evil. Don't talk about it. Don't deal with it. Rather than saying, actually, this is a great gift, but you have to wait. You have to learn what, what the greater picture is. And for some of us, we just need to be real that we are overwhelmed by our, our sexual desires. And we have given in to those cravings. And we need to challenge them and cut them off. Because your body is a temple. And today might look like confession. What does it mean for you to be physically healthy with your sexuality? And there are so many ways we can play with this and walk through this. Um, With your food, with your diet, with your exercise, with addictions, with sexuality, with your tastes. One thing I want to challenge our culture, our, our church in particular, is that gluttony comes in the form of particularity. Gluttony comes in the form of particularity, which is for us that we, um, I was talking to a friend, it's like our generation, you know, we don't, we want to fast things like sushi. But think about it, it's so true. Like there are these things that are just like a ridiculous abundance that we have, where we have, we don't just have a cup of coffee from 7-Eleven, we have Lord Windsor now. Four dollars a cup with a tip. Make sure you tip. We need to be generous to our brothers and sisters that own businesses nearby. Or, or for example, um, or um, I don't even know what I was saying. So we had oh, particularity. Yeah, f- the types of foods we overindulge, brothers and sisters, alcohol. There's nothing wrong with that by itself. But we celebrate our liberties. This generation celebrates it and we don't use it in moderation. And we need to cut that out. We show up to the bars and we do have two, three, four drinks, just like everyone else. And we aren't light to darkness, salt. We have to be witnesses. This, and again, this whole thing is not about legalism. This is not about creating rules or lines or ladders to climb or spiritual, you know, checklists. This is about becoming whole and examining your entire existence before God and saying, how do I love you well? How do I live fully alive? Amen. So my challenge this morning is this. I would like to 
challenge all of us to seriously evaluate our physical health and know that it dramatically impacts our spiritual health. If I'm consistent with uh, working out regularly, I'm consistent with devotion. Truly, this is just rhythms in my life. What is it you need to create a health that's going to honor God with your body? Um, this comes out of, out of our identity and responding, not trying to earn God's righteousness, but knowing that we fully received it. So I want to I challenge some of you. Some of you to sleep more. Some of you need to rest more. Some of you need to eat differently. Some of you need to not eat certain things. Some of you need to exercise regularly. Some of you just need to sit with your spouse and talk about what it means to be intimate sexually and, and deal with the, the stuff from your past. Um, so that's there, okay? That's what I want to invite you to. Now, before we call up time for prayer and response, here's what I want to challenge you. For so many of you, and myself included, when we think about our bodies, this is a place of shame. And you're hearing it again. Maybe you're hearing a voice again saying, look, he's talking about you. And it's a place of condemnation. And that's not what this is about. And so today, if you're feeling a sense of shame about your physical body, something that's been said about you, um, something that's been done to you, physically we want to pray that god will release that and that this conversation can be light and fun and a joyful walking in in discipleship with god this isn't a conversation about getting fit or looking better this is about wholeness some of you need to release the shame that's associated with this conversation so i want to call you forward to receive prayer some of you um are 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 stuck in habits of destruction associated to addictions sexually, physically, other addictions with with, um, substances. And we want to pray a release of that today as well. That God would break those things down. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you um, that when you created us, you said, It was very good. And that you've designed us to live whole lives with you. Lord, forgive us for um, dissecting our lives and keeping parts of ourselves from you. Because it's easy to hide in our food. Or it's easy to hide in um, our anger or our isolation. But Lord, I know you've called us to love you with our entire existence. So Jesus, would you help us now to release the baggage, to have courage to step forward and, and deal with this stuff. I pray that this would be a spirit conversation, a conversation of wholeness, a, a conversation of living in peace with you and ourselves. And I pray that your spirit would now rest on us as we want to create space for you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.